Back in February of 1960, uh, one of several visits took place here in Durham, North Carolina from uh, the late Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Some of you may remember that time, a little before my time, but uh, there are several uh, times that he came to the Durham area. A picture you'll see on the screen is just one of those times from February of 1960. He came to this area, as he went to most areas, in order to focus on issues of civil rights and prejudice. And uh, having grown up right here in this city, I can look back with great pride and say, I am so thankful about how far we've come as believers, as a culture, concerning race relations and prejudice. Can I get a praise the Lord this morning? We have come so far, but there is still so far to go, as we all know, in our community and in the, in the world that we live in. We have so far to go in dealing with people who look differently than we look, who act differently than we act, who speak differently than we speak. We have a long way to go. And today, as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts, in the New Testament, we are today beginning or looking at Acts chapter 10 and how the gospel comes to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, a pivotal chapter in the Bible with the gospel as it ripples out from Jerusalem, ripples out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Now, as it starts focusing on the ends of the earth, we discover this great truth in Acts chapter 10 and that is that life on mission, now that's our theme for the book of Acts, living a life on mission. We understand that when we live a life on mission, we are able to overcome prejudice for the sake of the gospel. We are able to overcome prejudices between one person and another person, one people group and another people group for the sake of the gospel. In other words, when you put two side by side, what's more important, the prejudices that we have or the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not equal. One is more important. One is stronger. And we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is stronger even than the temptation, the pull, and the culture of prejudice. And so we praise the Lord for that. In Acts chapter 10, we see the next ripple of the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. You may remember Acts 1 and verse 8. It is the, the contents, the table of contents for the book of Acts. It tells us where we are and where things go. You'll see the uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 on the screen. I want you to read that with me out loud. You see that there? Let's read it. Ready? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The end of the earth is starting to come into focus here in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 2, we see that the, the, the door was unlocked to reach the Jews. In Acts chapter 8, we see that the door was unlocked to reach the Samaritans. And now in Acts chapter 10, we're seeing the door being unlocked to reach the Gentile world, and the gospel was on track. Now, scholars estimate that what happens in Acts chapter 10 did not happen just a month or so after Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but that probably it was around 10 years later. Time frames aren't given in, in, in the book of Acts, but about 10 years later, 10 years after Pentecost, 10 years after the, the giving of this great commission again by Jesus, 10 years later, and the Gentile world still had not been touched by the gospel but all that changes here in Acts chapter 10. And uh, uh, in this, we recognize 
that, that God must break down our prejudices if the gospel is going to reach the world for the glory of God. Now, do you believe that this morning? That, that our prejudices must be broken and God must break them down if we're going to be useful for the gospel. Now, let's just, let's just be cards on the table today. We all have prejudices of one kind or another. Amen? Amen. So none of us are without guilt. Some more than others. Some in one area more than others. But all of us have to deal with issues of prejudice. Now, what, is, what does it mean to be prejudiced? If you take the root of the word prejudice, you come up with the, the, the word that we might say self-defines the term. And prejudice simply means to prejudge. To prejudge a person or a group of people based on preconceived notions without actually knowing the person or the group of people at hand. In Acts chapter 10, God uses two people, a Jew named Peter and a Gentile named Cornelius, in order to break down these walls of prejudice for the sake of the gospel. And remember, life on mission overcomes the prejudices that we face in life. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. Uh, we're going to read together from Acts chapter 10, uh, four verses. And these four verses are very important because it tells us the message that was preached. The message that was preached to the Jews in Jerusalem, the message that was preached to the Samaritans in Samaria, the message that was preached to the Gentiles in Caesarea, and the message that continues to be preached today on all the continents, all over the world, among all the people groups. The message doesn't change because the one who gives the message doesn't change. The message doesn't change because all of us, regardless of location, the period in history in which we live, the color of our skin, or the content of our character, doesn't change. We all desperately need the gospel of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse number 39, uh, we find these words. They're on the screen up there, Bill? There we go. So I'm going to read verse 39 and 40, and then uh, we'll read together after that. And we are all witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Verse 42. And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43. We'll read it together. To him... All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. There is one name given by which when we preach it, proclaim it, and teach it, that name is the name that brings forgiveness to sins. Now look at that verse. For who? Everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, you're separated from God. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, you're separated from God. It doesn't matter the continent on which you or your family originated, you are separated from God by sin. And no matter who you are in that mix of things, you are eligible for salvation through the one name that was given for which forgiveness of sins may come. Amen? Amen. Our Heavenly Father, today, open our eyes, remind us of great Bible truths, and help us to be more determined than ever to live our faith and to share our faith. And when we come into contact with people that aren't just quite like us, 
Lord, help us to, to break down any walls of prejudice and opposition and to open doors of fellowship and hospitality that the gospel of Jesus may go forth. Lord, help us in our struggle with prejudice because we all face it. Would you help us, Lord, to, to, that those walls might be coming down because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you in advance for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Now here in Acts chapter 10, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but Acts chapter 10, the stage is set for a great breakthrough to take place with the gospel. There's a, there's a man we're introduced to named Cornelius. Now Cornelius is a Gentile, he is a Roman soldier, and he is stationed on the coast in, in a place called Caesarea. And it was a, 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 the, the, the capital of the Romans when they came and occupied the nation of Israel. And Cornelius was a centurion, which meant he had charge over a century or over a hundred Roman soldiers. So he was up a little bit. He wasn't a general. He was more like a captain. And so he had charge over a hundred soldiers. We also introduced or reintroduced to Peter. Peter is staying at this time 30 miles south of Caesarea in a coastal town called Joppa. And Peter had gone there and was staying uh, in, in the home of a, of a tanner, uh, one who worked with leather, named Simon. Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter, a Jew, a Jewish Christian, the two had never met, had never heard of each other, but these are the two characters in the story. But most of all, we see God at work. God is at work orchestrating these events behind the scenes so that when they come together and the great breakthrough takes place, we can see that God was at work orchestrating those events all along the way. And it's a reminder, God is always at work. I'm waiting for an amen on that one. God is always at work orchestrating events behind the scenes. And anytime you see a great spiritual breakthrough, it didn't just happen. It happened because God has been at work. Now, let me give you a summary of Acts chapter 10. In verses 1 to 8, Cornelius, the soldier up in Caesarea, has a, a vision, a dream, a vision, and an angel appears to him and tells him there's a man in Joppa named Simon, also called Peter, staying at the house of Simon, who is a tanner, a leather worker, and uh, he is going to tell you how you can be made right with God. We're told that Cornelius is searching for God, and he's a good man. And he's made friends with the Jews. And, and so, so on the surface, he's got a lot going for him. But, but he's still searching to be rightly connected to God. And so, so in, in the vision, the angel says, send somebody down to Joppa and ask for Simon Peter and tell him to come tell you how to be saved. Verses 9 to 17, this is happening at the same time. While Cornelius is having a vision in Caesarea, Peter's having a vision in Joppa. He's up on the roof. And the scripture makes it very clear that he's hungry. It's lunchtime. It's time to eat. So we know he was a good old boy, right? It's time to eat. So while he was waiting on lunch, he was up on the roof, and Peter had a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven, and on that sheet were all kind of animals that the Old Testament says are unclean. They're not able to be eaten. And he hears a voice that says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And that vision took place Three times. That's how we know Peter was a Baptist. He had to be told three times from God exactly what was going on. And when the, when the uh, voice came and said, Arise, kill, and eat, Peter said, No, I can't do that because that's unclean. And a voice says, 
to, to Peter what God has called clean. You don't call unclean. When God says that things are changed, when God says that what has been unclean is now clean, then don't question God. Just go out and do what God says. That took place verses 9 to 17. Verses 18 to 24. Immediately after that, Peter's wondering, what does this vision mean? And immediately after that, the, the servants from Cornelius arrive and they holler up on the roof. Hey, is anybody here named Peter? <laughs> and Peter says, I'm here. And he goes down and they explain that Cornelius has had this vision and sent them to Joppa to find Peter who's just had a vision from God saying that these things that used to be unclean, they're now clean. And when Peter is thinking, what does this mean? All of a sudden he has the answer right there. Verses 25 to 39, Peter goes with these men to Caesarea. And when he gets there, he meets Cornelius. He shares the gospel. Everybody that's there in that group accepts Jesus as Savior and is saved. And they experience the Holy Spirit. And it's a great thing. It's a great breakthrough. And if you read it on the surface, you think this is a great episode. But understanding how this fits into the ripple effect of the gospel. Now impacting the Gentiles, we come to find out exactly how significant this story is. And so I want us to look at, at four lessons that we as believers can learn about prejudice by looking at this story. Because more than just being a story and a historical account, this passage of Scripture has much to say to you and to me and to this generation and every generation. Because while things may have gotten much better in race relations in Durham, North Carolina, there is still so far to go. And oftentimes, the church is not leading the way as God calls us to. Oftentimes, the church is not leading the way. So let's look at some lessons we can learn here. The first is that God prepares us for overcoming prejudice. If you and I are going to overcome prejudice, God has to prepare the way. And He's always at work preparing the way. Now, I'll say this. Being prejudiced comes from two things. It comes from our own nature. As we grow up, as we're in, in the culture in which we live, when we see people who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, we naturally kind of migrate to people who do look like us and talk like us and act like us. It's a natural thing to be prejudiced on all levels. But prejudice as an as a evil intent is often taught. It's often taught. And down through history, we've seen in every period of history, we've seen in, in, in the pages of the Bible, the pages of history, the pages of, of, of history in the different continents of the world, we've seen over and over again how this group pits itself against that group. And this group calls this group names. We, saw, we see at any time cultures collide and come together. Now we can say that Peter had a prejudice. Peter had a prejudice against non-Jews. Jews believed they were God's chosen people. And those that, that did not understand that they were chosen in order to be a light to the nations felt like they were chosen to be set apart and above everybody else. And no doubt Peter was raised in that way. And Jews who felt this way felt that everybody else was not worthy and not equal to the Jews. Even some committed Christians like Peter... Even committed Christians like you and I have to battle with the issue of prejudice. But we know that sometimes they're conscious, but sometimes they're unconscious. 
Sometimes we're raised in such a way that things become second nature to us, what we believe, how we talk, what we do, not realizing that, that there is prejudice embedded in our very, the very fabric of who we are. And, and for many of us, even in unconscious ways, we come to realize that there is prejudice. Now, to prepare Peter for Cornelius, there was this vision that took place, this sheet that had come down from heaven. And on the sheet were all kinds of, of animals that in the Old Testament were considered, again, unclean, unworthy to eat. There were, there were animals, there were insects, there were uh, birds, and, uh, and other types of animals. And Peter, while he, when he heard this, arise and kill and eat, said, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything. Peter's telling us here, he's, he's been a devout Jew. He's followed the laws of, 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 of the Jews as closely as he could. He said, I've never eaten anything that is unholy. I've never eaten anything that is unclean. And that's when God says to him, in verse 15 of Acts 10, what God has made clean, do not call common. Look at the, the, the usage of the word there. What God has made clean. It's not just that he called it clean. It's not just that it, it went from being clean. Now there's just a different name. But God has made this clean. Don't call it common or unclean. Theologian Graham Scroggie says it like this. As Christians, we can say no. And we can say Lord. But we can't say no, Lord. If Jesus is our Lord, and Lord means master, ruler, the one in charge. If Jesus is our Lord, we can't dare say to him, no. And if we do, we're demonstrating that he is not our Lord. Because that's why it's so important, whether it be prejudice or sin or any other issue, that we recognize that our answer to our Savior has to be yes, if indeed he is our Lord. He goes on to say this, Peter had to go from the fact that Gentile food would not defile him to the fact that Gentiles would not defile him. He, he was told and brought up, you can't eat this food. Gentiles do. You can't be around Gentiles. They will make you unclean. And all of a sudden, this breakthrough takes place in this vision and with this experience with Peter to where he recognizes that no longer is this food unclean. And Jesus had already said that back in the book of Mark. He said he declared all foods were clean. And Peter was still grappling with it, no doubt. But in recognizing that these foods that the Gentiles have eaten now are eligible to be eaten by Peter, but also these people called Gentiles that were looked down upon are now eligible to have salvation. They're created also in the image of God. And they are those whom Jesus loved and whom he died for. Now, Peter had been prejudice against these Gentiles. What does it mean to be prejudiced? What does it look like? One scholar said it this way, to be prejudiced is to group people by something, to group them by race or education or money or occupation, to take people and put them in a group. Racially, skin color, culturally, is the easiest way to do that. Language is, is another way to do that. And so it's to take people and put them in a group and then to prejudge that group according to whatever you want to do. I, I must admit, I'm guilty. I, can I confess to you today? Can I put it on the table today? When I was young, I was prejudiced against school teachers. 
I had a prejudice that said all school teachers are mean. All school teachers are mean. And the reason that I'm looking back in wisdom and education and experience now, I look back and say, it's not that all my teachers were mean. They were just fed up with how I was acting. That's probably what it boiled down to. But prejudice means that we take all of one group of people, we put them in a group, and then we prejudge that group in some negative way. It happened among the people groups of Europe during World War II as the soldiers interacted with the different cultures and this group called this group names and this group looked down on that group and some of you may be well aware. It happened when, when expansion took place in, in America and, and some against Native Americans and some against Asian Americans that, that came in and, and different groups of people were prejudiced against other groups of people for a variety of reasons. Peter may have thought... I hate Roman soldiers. They're occupying our country. They're wicked. They're immoral. They have no regard for the Jewish citizens. He may have felt that way. He may have, have been justified in feeling that way based on the community that he was a part of because the Jews hated the occupying forces of the Romans. That we do not doubt in any way whatsoever. But had Peter continued to have that prejudice, he would have missed what God wanted to use him to do. I can't help but think all the times that I've missed experiences that God has for me because of this prejudice or that prejudice that I was not willing at the time to overlook. I can't help but think of, of all the ways as a church, and God has certainly blessed Ridgecrest Baptist Church and used us down through the years, but I can't help but think either in the past or even at the present, are there prejudices that we exude and may not even be aware of that keep us from accomplishing all that God would have us to do as a church. One scholar said this, if we do not face our prejudices and allow God to remove them, we will not be effective in reaching others with the gospel. That's how important this topic is. If we do not face our prejudices and allow God to remove them, we will not be effective in reaching others with the gospel. He goes on to say, if you're prejudiced against Native Americans or blacks or Hispanics, how will you reach them with the gospel? If you, are, uh, if you hate those who practice homosexuality, how will you lead them to faith in Jesus Christ? If you avoid people who have body piercings and tattoos, how can God use you to bring the gospel to them? God is at work preparing us, just like God was at work preparing Peter and Cornelius, God is at work to break down barriers, open doors, and give us opportunities to take the unchanging message of the gospel that we just read together that applies to all people of all time. God is at work providing us those opportunities and giving us the open door for the gospel. We have to listen and be willing to allow God to break that down. Let me ask you this morning. I'm not going to ask you to respond. What prejudices are you dealing with? I'm not just pointing a finger at you. I'm, all of us deal with prejudices. But what prejudices come to mind when, when we talk about them this morning? Is it a certain group of people? Is it a certain person? Is it a certain segment of society? And whatever it is, is it something that you'd be willing to say, Lord, help me. Help this wall of prejudice to be broken down. Think about that as we move through the message. The second lesson I want to point out to you, and that is that God breaks prejudice in us 
so that God can work through us. That's important. He breaks the prejudice in us, and that's to our benefit, but he does it so that he can now use us to impact others for the gospel. Now, now in, in, the, in the story here in Acts chapter 10, the angel appeared to Cornelius. Now think about this with me. The angel didn't need Peter. God didn't need Peter. The angel knew the gospel. Wouldn't you say so? The angel knew the God. The angel knew the gospel before Jesus ever came in the world. The angel knew the story. The angel could have showed up in a vision there with Cornelius, and the angel could have explained the gospel. Cornelius could have become a believer, and God could have done this much cleaner and easier than having to send 30 miles and bring Peter all the way up here and deal with all the, the mess of prejudice that went into it. Why didn't the angel just share the gospel with Cornelius? That's the question. It's because God works in us to break us of our pride and our prejudice and our sin so that God can then work through us. Peter is instrumental. It is Peter that preached at Pentecost when the Jews were reached. It is Peter that was there in Samaria when the gospel came to the Samaritans. It is Peter now who is there at, at, the, at the crossing over and breaking the barrier to the, to the Gentiles. And it is as though God is saying He wants to use the disciples. He wants to use those closest to Jesus to break down these barriers in order to show that the, that the movement, the Christian movement, wasn't fractured and fragmented. It was a unified movement going back to the gospel back to Jesus, back to the ones who walked with him. And when God was ready to take the gospel to the Gentiles, think about who God chose. A Roman soldier. Part of the occupying force of Israel. One who, when they would march through the streets, people despised them and didn't want to see them coming. They were among the most despicable. Tax collectors and Roman soldiers were probably on the same path uh, of hatred from the Jews towards other people. They did not like them. And yet God chose someone like Cornelius, an offensive Gentile, in order to break the barrier to the Gentiles with the gospel. Think with me for a moment about how God worked in preparing Peter for this. He repeated the vision, not one time, not two times, but three times. Three is important because it takes sometimes, we see something once and we may not get the message twice and we still don't get it. In fact, after the third time, Peter was still wondering what was going on there. But God worked with him gently, gently, the vision and the repeat of the vision and the repeat of the vision. That's how God was working in Peter. And then, at the very moment that Peter was scratching his head, wondering, what does all this mean? The messengers from Cornelius showed up just at that moment. There's what God does, there's how many times God does it, and then there's the timing of how it all comes together. So it could be, in, in our lives, that God is at work doing things and reminding us of things in the scriptures, in our prayers, in the circumstances that we're in, in the news stories of the day. It could be that God is working and preparing us and we may be wondering, what does this mean? What is God doing with this? And, and rather than dropping back in fear and, 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 and shrinking back in, in lack of faith, it ought to give us more faith. To say, if God is doing this and God is doing that, God must be willing and, and preparing to open a door to use me in some way. And I want to be there for God to use me. So, so notice what happened. God prepared him. 
He worked in him, and then God worked through him. Uh, Peter was ready when the servants of Cornelius came. He probably would not have been ready had they come before the vision. Uh, He invited them to come into the house, and a Jew wouldn't do that ordinarily uh, to others. And then he was willing to go with them 30 miles north to Caesarea, two days at least of a journey of walking to get there. And so, so we get to verse 24, and we see that Cornelius was expecting them. Somebody let him know they were coming. And Cornelius called all of his friends and all of his family together. And when Peter got there, he found a room full of people waiting to hear the message of the gospel. It's amazing. Before Cornelius became a Christian, he was already a witness and a testimony. He said, I got this guy, Peter. He's coming up to share. So I want you to hear and you to hear and even you. (laughs) Come on to the house. And when Peter got there, he found that not only was Cornelius prepared, but there was a whole crowd of people that were prepared to hear the gospel. You know, sometimes the Lord molds us and shapes us by putting us in uncomfortable situations. Has God ever put you in an uncomfortable situation? He has me. And, and, and sometimes he does that in order to mold us, shape us, prepare us. And let me say it this way, sometimes to break us. To break us of sinful attitudes and sinful behaviors and to open our mind and our heart to what he is doing with the message of the gospel. And let me be very clear this morning. God never gives us an inclination to go and support something the Bible calls sin. God never gives us a a nudge to go participate in any activity that the Bible calls sin. But the Bible calls us, the Lord calls us to go and take the gospel, this life-changing gospel of, of, of forgiveness of sin and salvation to places and to people that may be engaged in activities in which the Bible calls sin. And so God has to work in us so that he can then work through us. Let me give you a third lesson this morning. That is overcoming prejudice. When that happens, when prejudice is overcome, it opens doors for the gospel. This is so important. We have to ask ourselves the question, what's more important, the gospel, the message of the gospel, or me? What's more important, the message of the forgiveness of sins to anyone who believes, everyone who believes will be forgiven, is that more important, or is my comfort more important? Is the message of Jesus more important, or is my awkwardness and lack of awkwardness more important? We have to ask ourselves, because when the barriers are broken down, The door is open for the gospel. Notice very importantly, God is the hero in this story. God is the hero. It's not a story about Peter and not a story about Cornelius. Yeah, they have a place, but ultimately God is the hero. What does he do? He prepares the proclaimer. That's Peter. He prepares the hearer. That's Cornelius and his servants and all who gathered in his house. God is at work preparing so that his purpose may be fulfilled and his purpose is that he may be glorified in all the nations and that all men and women and boys and girls possible would come to know Christ. Within that, I want you to notice this, God was at work in Peter. He was at work there. Peter didn't just get up one day and say, I think I'll go up to Caesarea and talk to some Gentiles about Jesus. He didn't do that. He had a vision of foods. He had the experience there of Cornelius. He had to overcome his own prejudices. And as a result, I want you to notice in verse 28, 
Peter says this to the group that's assembled at Cornelius' house. Peter said, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Why was Peter able to say that? Because he had seen that vision. He had heard the voice of God speaking. And he had, he had, been, been, had seen that which he knew to be unclean. Now God has made it clean. And in this whole episode, God showed Peter, don't call anybody just common. The gospel is for everybody. The greatest of the great in the eyes of people and the least of the least in the eyes of people. Verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Say that last part with me. God shows no partiality. When God looks at you and when God looks at me and when God looks at whatever worst of the worst sinners you want to label out in society, He sees none any better than the other. All equally separated from Him. Jesus died equally for the sins of all and the gospel is available equally to all. God shows no partiality. That's so important. Verse 35 but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. In any nation, any people group, anywhere, anytime, anyone who fears Him, that word fear doesn't just carry a connotation of being afraid, but who acknowledges Him and who reverences Him and who believes in Him. And in this instance, speaking of trusting in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, anyone, anywhere that does that is acceptable to God. Who am I? To say this group of people is off limits to the gospel. Who am I to say this person, whatever it is they've done, whatever, however it is they've behaved, where, however their lifestyle may be, who am I to say the gospel is not for you? The moment I say that, I am in sin. Because the gospel is for everyone. So God was at work in Peter. Notice also God was at work in Cornelius. If, if we're not careful, we can read this story. In fact, we can read verse 2 of chapter 10 where it says, Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. We might think, well, here's Cornelius on his own. He's a good guy seeking God. And in response to that, God reached down and touched Cornelius' life. No, 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 no. Anytime we see anybody seeking after God, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt biblically that God was at first seeking them. Nobody ever just says, I want to know God and finds Him. God says, when you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Because when we're seeking God, all we discover is He's already looking for us. And that's what happened in the life of Cornelius. Like many people throughout history and even today, many people are like Cornelius. They're good in the eyes of people. People say many good things about Cornelius. But he was still lost and apart from God. People can say that you're, that you're good. People can say that you're well-intentioned. Oh, look at what all the, the great things that she does. Look at all the, the service that she does out in the community. Look at the way that, that he looks after the aged or the elderly. You can, you, can, you can be well-intentioned, but like Cornelius, and still be lost. You can be generous and give your money. You can give your money to, 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 the, to the society of this and for the benefit of that and for, and for the money at the church. You can give to the mission trip of others. You can give towards any number of different things but still be lost and apart from God. You can be religious. You can go to church every Sunday. You can carry your Bible around. 
You can, you, can, you, can, uh, you can bow your head and pray. Give alms. You can, you can do all the outwardly religious things that you see people do everywhere. And people can look at you and they can say, man, would you look at her? If you want to know what a religious person looks like, there she is right there. Would you look at what he does and how he takes care of things and how much he, he, he loves God? Just look at all the outward things he does. Listen, you can be religious and still be lost. Let me say this morning. That none of the things I just mentioned, being good, being well-intentioned, being generous, or being religious, none of those are requirements of being saved by Christ. Let me tell you what, what is required for being saved through Christ. Turning from our sins, called repentance. Believing the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Acknowledging that He is God's Son and the Savior of the world, and that He died for my sins and in my place, was buried and raised on the third day. And when I put my faith and trust in Him, I am saved from the penalty of my sins. I've been forgiven and saved to eternal life with God. And He is with me every day through His Holy Spirit. I want to read for you again from chapter 10, starting in verse 39. We read it earlier, where it says, We are witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, if you, the story continues on into chapter 11 of Acts. And in chapter 11 of Acts, we have Cornelius looking back on the situation. Oh, Cornelius says in verse 13 of Acts 11 that, that Cornelius had seen the angel stand in his house. And the angel said, send to Joppa and bring Simon called Peter. Verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. That's what Cornelius said. I saw this angel. He said, go get Peter. And Peter will tell you how to be saved. What did Peter say? Peter said, believe on Jesus that your sins may be forgiven. I want you to notice also that God is at work, not just in the life of Peter and Cornelius, but he's also at work in your life and my life. God wants to use you in the same way that he used Peter, in the same way that he used Cornelius. God wants to use you and I in order to, to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. People that may not look like you or I. People that may not talk like you or I. I I'm amazed at this, God has called us to take the gospel to all the nations of the world. You know that, right? You know that, right? Take the gospel everywhere. And you know what God is doing in the meantime? God is bringing the nations to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And people are coming through. And then they're going back to their homes. So just as much as we may send a mission team like we have in the past to Haiti or Jamaica or Slovakia or, or Slovenia or, or to any other of the places that we have gone and taken the gospel, and we should continue to do that, we also need to recognize God is sending people here to be impacted by the gospel and take that gospel back to their homes. How do we know that? Among other places in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Around the throne in heaven there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation that the Savior has purchased with His blood. They will all be gathered around the throne in heaven. So we know it is God's intention that all people come to know Christ. One theologian said it this way, if we do not have a heart to reach across 
cultural, racial, and national barriers, we do not have the heart of the Lord Jesus. It's very clear, very understandable. One last point, that is that when we overcome prejudice, God's going to use us. I've been talking about this over and over again, but when we overcome prejudice, God will use us, which means when we hold on to prejudice, we're getting in the way of the gospel. God might use us a little bit here, a little bit there, but while we have prejudice, we're standing in the way of the gospel. When God prepared the listeners, he also prepared the preacher. And so Cornelius had invited all of his friends and all of his neighbors, chapter 10 and verse 33, and God worked in the hearts of the people, the heart of the preacher, and the content of the message. And it says there in verses 44 and 45 that Peter didn't even get through with the message before the Holy Spirit came and they all got saved. Can you believe that? The preacher didn't even get through with the message before the Spirit came. Because you know what? God doesn't need a preacher. Can I say it this way? God don't need me. But God chooses to use me. He chooses to work in me and then to work through me so that He can work in you and then work through you so that He can work in us and then work through us to all those around us that don't know Him and they're feeling the brunt of prejudice from us. If we're not careful, we can exude that very easily. But when, when the Spirit comes and salvation comes, those barriers are broken down. Because the same gospel that saves the Jews is the same gospel that saves the Gentiles, which is the same gospel that saves us as well. Chapter 11, verses 17 and 18, it says this. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, Peter said, that I could stand in God's way? Who, how dare I be the one to stand in the way if God is at work here? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. In chapter 11, verse 17, Peter's now back at Jerusalem and he's telling them, God's come to the Gentiles. And they're saying, not the Gentiles. And Peter says, yeah, I was there. And they say, well, if God's coming to the Gentiles, I guess he's coming to the Gentiles. And what a wonderful thing that was. Let me conclude with this and just remind you again that prejudice of any kind prevents the gospel. Prejudice prevents the gospel. The Jewish Christians had salvation and the Great Commission, but even 10 years later, they still weren't breaking down the barrier to get to the Gentiles. God had to work in so many ways. And the Gentiles, like Cornelius, how many others, were searching for God. And so that when God revealed the message of salvation, they eagerly accepted it and filled up their living room with friends and family and said, you've got to hear this message. What a wonderful thing that is. Many of you remember the 1960s. I mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. coming to Durham and many other places. And, and there's a lot of social upheaval. There's a lot of generational upheaval. I, I was reading a book, or I saw about a book named uh, titled Leadership, written by, and this is his real name, Hudson Armourdine. And he was the president of Wheaton College in the 1960s. And the story is told that Hudson Armourdine uh, fought in World War II was a well-dressed, well-groomed man, and he despised the hippie or the counterculture movement 
taking place. He viewed those in the counterculture movement as unpatriotic, as draft resistors, and flag burners. And he did not like it when the students on his own campus where he was the president, he did not like it when they wore counterculture fashion there at Wheaton College. And he also thought it was biblically inappropriate for a man to have long hair. That's how he felt. One day he was scheduled to speak in chapel. And before chapel started, a group of students and, and faculty gathered together to pray. And one student walked in with a beard, a sash around his waist, long hair, and wearing sandals. And uh, Hudson Armadine was offended. And while they were praying, by his own account, he did not have a good attitude. And the student prayed just before the, the prayer time ended. And the student prayed, and this is a quote, Dear Lord, you know how much I admire Dr. Armadine, how I appreciate his walk with you. I'm grateful for what a man of God he is and how he loves you and loves your people. Lord, bless him today. Give him liberty in the Holy Spirit and make him a blessing to all of us in the student body and help us as students to have open hearts to hear what he has to say. And may we do what you want us to do. And in the book... Armadine reports that as he walked to the chapel to speak, that God had already begun to convict his soul. After the message, he asked that student to join him on the platform. And there seemed to be a little gasp among the other students out in the congregation. They thought, as they were, as they were whispering back and forth very quickly, they thought he was going to make an example of the young man, how not to dress, how, how not to act, be critical of the young man. But everybody, it says here, everybody, including the student, was surprised when Dr. Armadine put his arms around the student and embraced him as a brother in Christ. It broke up the chapel service. I like that phrase. We went to church, and it just broke up in there. It broke up the chapel service as students stood, applauded, cried, and embraced each other. And the report says God used the simple act of one man laying aside his prejudice to turn the mood on campus to greater love and acceptance of one another for the gospel. Dr. Armadine later learned that this student had adopted his appearance in order to reach his generation who were alienated from God and from the church. He said, I'll do what it takes to take the gospel to others. Let me end with a radical request of you today. And that is... Would you be willing to ask God to show you your prejudices? Would you be willing to ask God to show you your prejudices? We all have them, so don't think I'm, I'm picking on you. Would you be willing to ask God to show you your prejudices? And then, would you be willing to obey Him when He does? Well, Pastor Mark, what does that mean? What does that look like? What's it going to take? I don't know. <laughs> I'll bet if you'd be willing to say, Lord, show me my prejudices, and when he does, if you pray, Lord, show me what to do, and maybe to change an attitude, maybe to put a hand on a shoulder, maybe to cross a line, a barrier that's been put up, and, and maybe to, to, to say something positive in, in an atmosphere where you normally just walk right by and not even speak. It could be that just like the chapel service at Wheaton College, it could be a huge breakthrough in front of a lot of people, or it might just be a small breakthrough between two people. It opens the door for the gospel. Because the most important part of the story is the gospel. 
who will save and forgive the sins of everyone who believes. Isn't it worth everyone knowing so that everyone can believe? Can I get an amen to that this morning? Let's stand together. We're going to sing our last song here in just a moment. They'll know we're Christians by our love. And as we sing just a couple of quick verses of that song, I want you to listen to the words and allow them to sink in and ask, Lord, show me my prejudices and allow me to show somebody the love of Jesus that it might break down the barriers of prejudice that the gospel might break through. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you even now to be with us as we have listened to your word and considered lessons for our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would show me my prejudice and help me, O oh God, to be willing quickly to obey when you make clear what my next steps are. And I pray the same for these, my brothers and sisters, that even now as we sing and in the days to come, in the activities that we're a part of and experiences that you give us, Lord, may we give you permission to lead us, show us, take us somewhere to someone to show the gospel of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.